Welcome to Madison Avenue Presbyterian Church. We hope this message encourages you and inspires you to serve God and your neighbor. If you want to learn more about our ministry, head over to mapc.com. If you're looking for a community where you can deepen your faith, we invite you to join us every Sunday at 1030 online or in person. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. For you are called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for self-indulgence. But through love, become slaves to one another. For the whole law is summed up in a single commandment. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. If, however, you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Today we are going to discuss the meaning and the offense of Christian freedom. And to help us make that the focus of our mind and heart this morning, I invite you to join with me in reciting that first verse. For freedom, Christ has set us free. For freedom, Christ has set us free. For freedom, Christ has set us free. I like the way that sounds. Those words have life in them. They have hope in them. They have power in them. For freedom, Christ has set us free. As I was thinking about freedom this week, I marveled over the many and varied aspirations towards freedom that we have. Some of us long to be free of the scourge of cancer or the weight of depression. Others long to be free of that inner critical voice that ever whispers into our ear, you're not quite good enough. Some of us long to be free from homelessness and poverty. Others long to be free from a marriage that is filled with violence and abuse. Some of us long to be free from the ridicule and derision and disdain that we endure because of the color of our skin or our national heritage. Others long to be free from tyranny and genocide. Some of us long to be free from the past. Some of us long to be free from a future that seems foreboding and filled with despair. We, we long for many different forms of freedom. As a people, we love freedom. We even enjoy singing about freedom. Uh, the third verse of our national anthem, the, the last few words, and the star-spangled banner in triumph doth wave, or the land of the free and the home of the brave. But we don't simply settle for singing about freedom in our national anthem. We join with the likes of Leonard Skinner in singing, do you remember? Free Bird, thank you. And we want to sing with Tom Petty and Free Falling and with Elton John and Philadelphia Freedom and with Queen in, you remember Queen? I want to break free. And with the immortal Aretha Franklin and think. And, and, and even though I, I do not believe, 
I do not believe there has been any good pop music since 1984, perhaps 1987 at the outside. Um, just for sake of conversation this morning, we could join with Freedom by Beyonce or Freedom with Nicki Minaj or Freedom by Pharrell Williams. For freedom, Christ has set us free. And yet, as deeply as we long for freedom, as often as we discuss it, as enthusiastically as we sing about it, our relationship with freedom is problematic at best. Part of our challenge as Americans is that as a people, we have not fully lived up to our national ideals. Dr. King's words almost 60 years ago are true today. He wrote, he spoke about justice and equality. These words also apply to freedom. It, it is obvious today that America has defaulted on this promissory note insofar as her citizens of color are concerned. Some of us are more free than others. And yet we still, even acknowledging somewhat our nation's inability to fully embody our, our ideals, we have still not come to that which is offensive about Christian freedom. Freedom, the freedom we know in Christ, the freedom we celebrate here in this faith community is offensive and problematic because it judges. It judges our contemporary understanding and exercise of freedom. Now, now to be sure, the freedoms we enjoy in our country is a sublime gift purchased with the blood of thousands. And our embrace of democracy is indeed an historical anomaly. For more than two centuries, we have refused to believe that our past dictates our future, that our social standing decides our vocation, and that our family name determines our legacy. For more than two centuries, we have championed freedom, freedom from tyranny, freedom from injustice, freedom from anyone or anything that would deny us the power to choose. We have, as Americans, championed the right to self-determination and elevated the agency of the individual to historical, unprecedented levels. And while that is wonderful, therein also lies the rub. One afternoon, my wife did, and our son Nathan and I got in our car to go to a department store. And I drove over to the department store and pulled into the parking lot, and it was incredibly congested. Cars everywhere, and so I went up and down the lanes looking for an opening, looking for a car pulling out, and finally I saw one. I saw a car beginning to creep out, to back out of the parking spot. And so I turned on my left blinker, and I waited patiently for the car to back out so that I could then go in. Uh, there was another car coming from the opposite direction. And as I began to inch in, uh, this person, some of you are nodding, you know where I'm going with this, don't you? Uh, some of them, uh, she started to accelerate and she just dashed right into that parking spot. And at this point, my mouth stopped communicating with my mind. And I rolled down my window and I said, excuse me. And she just kept on going. And so I said, excuse me. And she turned around and said, what? 
I said, I just have one question for you. Why? Why did you do that? You saw that I was waiting. I don't know what you're talking about. Please, just tell me, why did you do that? Huh. And she rolled her eyes and simply walked away. Now, in an era marked by road rage, that was not a very smart thing for me to do. But that experience exemplifies for me how we can perverse and distort the meaning of freedom. Uh, Paul says, do not use your freedom as an opportunity for self-indulgence, but through love become slaves to one another. But freedom is so often distorted and perverted when we narrow its scope simply to personal choice. I'm free to do this. I'm free to do that. I can do whatever I want to do. After all, I, I can even park where I want to park. This is a free country. Freedom without responsibility enslaves us to our whims and desires and impulses. Freedom without accountability destroys community. And freedom without purpose sends us into a swirling sea of self-absorption. What, what was it again that Paul said? For freedom, Christ has set us free. In our faith tradition, we believe that freedom is not a right, a right that can be earned or purchased. It is not a privilege for a few. In contrast to our society's obsession with the rights and freedoms of the individual, biblical freedom is inherently communal. Biblical freedom is intensely relational. And biblical freedom finds its ultimate expression and service to God and neighbor. This is the great offense of Christian freedom. Biblical freedom is not about you and what you want. Biblical freedom is about our neighbor and what our neighbor needs. Consider, for example, the pivotal, decisive, and defining event of the Hebrew Scriptures, God's liberation of his people from tyranny in Egypt. In Exodus 9.1, the Lord says to Moses, Go to Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, Let my people go so that they may serve me. Why did God rescue his people out of slavery? Why did God set them free? So that they would be free to know the joy and meaning and purpose of serving God and so that they can live in community, a just and caring and compassionate community. In his letter to the church in Corinth, Paul addresses the issue of eating meat that had been sacrificed to pagan idols. If meat has been sacrificed to a pagan idol, oh, it, can we eat it? After all, in Christ we are free. And we are free of the Jewish dietary regulations. Uh, why can't we eat it? And Paul's like, no, 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 you're, you're missing the point. Uh, he says, for though I am free with respect to all, I have made myself a slave to all. And he explains that the question of eating meat is not simply a matter of personal preference. Our actions depend 
on the impact they would have on our neighbor so that if we're eating with Jewish brothers and sisters who abstain from eating meat, we should also abstain from eating meat. But if we're eating with other neighbors who enjoy lamb shish kebab, go ahead and indulge. It's not a matter of waffling or lacking integrity or consistency. It's knowing that in freedom, we become slaves to one another. That's the great gift and challenge and offense of Christian freedom. Our attention is directed to our brothers and sisters, and we become slaves to one another. When it comes to being free, we, we tend to focus on what we are free from. And so when high school graduates go to college, they are suddenly free from the responsibilities and restrictions of their parents. Or when we go to therapy, some of us seek freedom from an unhealthy relationship. But in Christian thought, the focus is not simply on what we are free from, but what we are free for. To quote Paul again, do not use your freedom as an opportunity for self-indulgence, but through love become slaves to one another. For the whole law is summed up in a single commandment, you shall love your neighbor as you love yourself. When we say that we are free from sin, this means that we are free from the necessity of proving our self-worth. We are free for community. We are free to love one another. My family and I loved the eight years we lived in Charleston, South Carolina. I, I, how many of you have ever been to Charleston, South Carolina? Some of you? Oh, many of you. That's, that's wonderful. A beautiful, beautiful city. We lived on James Island, and we were about 10 minutes from downtown and 10 minutes from Folly Beach, and it was wonderful. It was the first eight years of our son's life. It was hot. It was very hot and very muggy. But we endured and did well most of the year, except for late summer and early fall, the heart of hurricane season. And that could be terrifying. I, I forget the name of the hurricane, but the forecast had it coming straight in a direct shot to Charleston, we lived two blocks from the water and we did not think we were going to have a house left when we evacuated. But at 6 a.m. that morning, we along with many, if not most of the other residents along the sea coast, uh, we evacuated inland and she and I and Nathan went up to Charlotte, North Carolina. Some of you might remember that was when the traffic was backed up on I-26 for uh, 24 hours. It took 24 hours to go from Charleston up to Greenville, South Carolina, which would normally take three hours. That's how congested it was. But that's also how great the fear was because the hurricane was coming right towards us. And at the last minute, it veered north and to North Carolina. So the following day, we got back in our car and drove back down to Charleston. And as we approached the city, we could see that debris were strewn everywhere. And when we got into our neighborhood, we could see that the limbs were down, wires were down. Scrap metal was spread all over the place, and when we pulled into our driveway, 
we saw the same thing. There were live oak limbs that had fallen and pine needles and pine cones and paper and debris. And in our yard, all of that had been raked up into one pile for one of our neighbors had decided to sit it out through the storm. I looked down the street and I saw a pile in front of our house and a pile in front of our neighbor's house and a pile in front of the house two doors down. I really didn't even know this neighbor. I talked to him later and he said, well, I had some free time. And I thanked him, but my friends, he had more than free time. He had a free heart. He had a free spirit. He used his freedom in love. A friend of mine was returning from a vacation one summer, and she pulled into a McDonald's to get some coffee. She got the coffee, she went to pay for it, and the teller said, no, 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 the, the car ahead of you went ahead and paid for your coffee. For freedom, Christ has set us free. When there are disasters around the world, earthquakes, floods, whatever, we Presbyterians are usually one of the first to be there. Where part of the money that we give to our church goes to our denomination, which goes to the Presbyterian Disaster Agency, which sends people and money on the ground there immediately. Why? For freedom, Christ has set us free. How many of you have a friend by the name of Bubba? One? Come on, there's got to be more than one friend by the name of Bubba, right? Two? Thank you, Desiree. Anybody else? Oh, John, thank you. I happen to have two friends by the name of Bubba. And one of them is a captain in the Charleston Fire Department. Two weeks after the towers fell, he and some of his colleagues packed up their gear and got on a train and came to our city. And exactly what he did, I'm not sure, but they were here to offer whatever assistance, whatever compassion they could offer. And Bubba says that when they would go into restaurants to get their lunch or dinner, the patrons would start clapping. And it was only on a rare occasion that they ever had to pay for a meal. Why, why did Bubba use his vacation time to go to Ground Zero because for freedom Christ has set us free. Christ has set us free for community for compassion, for one another, for service, and for sacrifice. And as offensive as this might be for some, for me and you, it is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen.